0: When John the Baptist heard in prison what the Messiah was doing, he sent word by his disciples, John's disciples, and said to Jesus, Are you the one who is to come, or are we to wait for another? Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have good news brought to them, and blessed is anyone Who takes no offense at me. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to look at? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? Someone dressed in soft robes? Look. Those who wear soft robes are in royal palaces. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written. See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I tell you, among those born of women, no one has arisen greater than John the Baptist. Yet, the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. The gospel of the Lord start actually by doing a couple of little acknowledgements. Number one, Chris Stanley accompanied on the first bell piece. I think Chris already took off. You're not still here, are you, Chris? Oh, no, you're back there. Anyhow, I don't know if you... Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, Chris retired from here and uh, can't stay away from us, but I mean, Chris fell and broke her wrist a couple months ago, and that kind of endangered her ability to play piano, and so she's been doing a lot of therapy, and it was just awesome to have you back and play it. Yeah, you're back, we can't get rid of you, Chris. So that's really cool. Uh, I should just also say that, just kind of looking out, there are uh, one or two people here who are in the middle of like major illnesses or just had a major surgery, And it's really cool you're here, and uh, you should know that people in this congregation pray for you every day. Uh, Speaking of praying for people every day, one of the reasons we know who to pray for is we have the the prayer list and the bulletin. Uh, uh, The third acknowledgement is somebody who's been writing notes to people in this congregation who are sick or had anniversaries or who've had babies or have had loss in their license, writing on behalf of all of us for 30 years, uh, that would be Carol Bach, who's sitting right over here. And she's retiring finally at last from that role and actually passing it on to Cheryl Carulio, who's sitting right over here. Uh, I don't know if you have to do it for 30 years, Cheryl, but <laughs> Carol did it for 30 years. And we've been sneaking around behind your back, Carol, writing this enormous card to you for several weeks. <coughs> and so, excuse me, you have to stand up just long enough to receive this card. And it's just lots of people who know you uh, writing their thanks and their encouragement and their blessings to you, uh, which I hope you receive on behalf of everybody who's here Thank tonight. Thank you very much. A true labor of faith and of love. The last acknowledgement is. I'm such a good pastor that, <laughs> that I, I took my blue stole home uh, just to iron it once because it was so wrinkled. Yeah. It's still sitting on the ironing board. <laughs> so the, the history and usage of the word fool in scripture is kind of interesting. Uh, in, the, in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew scriptures, Uh, The word literally means hollow head. We still kind of use that nowadays, you know, not much, nothing's up there. It's just kind of echoing up there. Uh, So that's what it meant, and, you know, I think the usage then was as it is now, which is, uh, it's not a nice thing to say to somebody else, but there's certainly worse things you can say about somebody. Then, interestingly, what happened in about 100 years before and after Jesus, and just for that limited time period, especially within the Greek with which the New Testament was written, uh, the word evolved to be um, a a huge incendiary uh, 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 put-down or or slam of another person. And Jesus, who was always alert to the significance of words and language, uh, built on that. uh, So, for example, in his Sermon on the Mount, he says and he exaggerates a lot in the Sermon on the Mount so that we will get his point. He says at one point, if you get angry and say to another person, you fool, you will be liable to hellfire. I'm pretty sure he did not think that one word was going to send you to hell, but he was trying to make the point that when we get angry, that's the last time you want to lose control of what you're saying about other people. And that, in fact, when we get angry and then say things that are destructive to other people and their reputation or their feelings or their person, that, that that that's a toxin to our own souls and a cancer, in other words, it's it, it, it spreads and, and multiplies in, in the lives of others. Um, he knew, as do we, to step away from that. It's interesting too, in Luke chapter 12 when he tells his his uh, great parable about the rich farmer who tears down his barns to build bigger barns because he's doing so well, and now he's just going to eat, drink, and be merry? What does God say to him in that parable? God says, you fool, this very night your soul will be required of you. And so Jesus is well aware of kind of the impact of that word in this time and, and make use of it in uh, the Gospels. But in tonight's first lesson, Isaiah chapter 35, it's still that different usage And it's kind of interesting that in verse 8, the prophet observes that there will be some point in a hope-filled future for a harassed and burdened people that there will be a time when the path towards God's way is so broad that no traveler, not even fools, will go astray. Today's gospel lesson. All year we're in Matthew. And... uh, uh, just last week we had the story of John the Baptist kind of blazing the trail for Jesus at the beginning of his ministry now this week he's in prison it's kind of a miracle at some level he was still alive the reason he was was that he called out king Herod and his half sister Herodias for being married to each other it was kind of kind of a dicey situation so he calls him out on it morally as, as someone which no one was, of course, willing to do. And in that world, if you call the king out on their moral behavior, you just, like, get your head cut off right away. And eventually John would, unfortunately, get his head cut off. But he didn't get it cut off right away because he was such a folk hero at some level that even King Herod was kind of afraid of him. And so he just imprisons him to begin with. And in prison, John the Baptist sends his disciples to Jesus because John has been hearing about the beginnings of Jesus' ministry, and apparently he's a little disappointed in Jesus. Among other things, remember, what, was, what did John eat? He ate a diet of focus and water. And also, by implication, uh, he doesn't drink any alcohol. That's kind of part of his persona from the, the prophet that preceded him. Uh, so he doesn't do any of that. And what, how did last week's gospel lesson go? You've got to repent, and if you don't, your chaff is burned by unquenchable fire. And we always say that's the good news of the Lord. <laughs> like, Ooh, that's—I don't know about that. It's the fun week, one week of the year where that's a little tough to say. Um, so John the Baptist is all about the rules, and you better get act together. And if you don't, you are toast. And so he's heard of Jesus, and Jesus is what—he's eating and drinking with sinners and t- the drinking there clearly implies that it's alcohol or wine. The first thing he does is turn water into wine. And Jesus is what? Uh, praising of a Roman centurion, hated, praising eventually the faith of Zacchaeus, the Jewish tax collector, hated, talking to women in public, making Samaritans the the heroes of some of his best-known stories. In other words, Jesus is going out of his way to reach out to all these sinful, lost, forsaken, pushed-to-the-side people, and then when teaching his own disciples, says things to them like... You can't just forgive each other one time or three times or seven times. You've got to forgive seven times 70. And that doesn't line up very well with a guy who had been out there saying, Repent or you are going to burn forever. And so John is a little confused by Jesus and says to him by messenger one. There's a little edge in that question. And there's a little edge in Jesus' response. Because Jesus says to John's disciples, you go back and tell them what you see. And what you see is not really what I say, and what you see is not really what I believe. What you see is what I do. And what I do is, is I actually touch people, and I'm with people so that the, so that the sick are healed, and so that the blind spiritually and otherwise can see. Most of all, so that the good news, so that the poor have good news, not just proclaimed to them, but brought to them. Something might actually change once in their lives. Oh, and what's the last thing they're supposed to say to John? And blessed is he, blessed is anyone. Blessed are you, John the Baptist, if you take no offense at me. You know, they were relatives, been together. All along. That that must have been hard for both. But it was really important to make really clear how John the Baptist, as awesome that he was, still didn't totally understand what it takes to be on the path to the kingdom of God. And if John can't figure it out, how can any of us figure it out? But... The good news of that is, well, why should any of us have figured it out? Who, who could anticipate Jesus? Who, who could anticipate love that amazing? It's kind of interesting, don't you think, <laughs> that this, this debate between John and Jesus is still among us? I mean, I, I think we still live in a world of not enough and too much religiously, I mean. In other words, we live in a world, a society right now where there are plenty of people who are kind of post-Christian, post-religion, post-organized faith. Uh, They've kind of left it behind, found it irrelevant, or say, well, you know, we don't believe in a particular creed, but we're working on our spirituality. And I'm I'm sure some are, but as I watch that, I would say, "Eh, pretty much no. (laughs) Pretty much people just aren't doing it at all. So not enough, maybe. And then on the other end of the spectrum is too much, because there's certainly plenty, especially in Christianity and our culture, of of people who are all about the rules and all about theirs is the correct path and all about if you're not quite on that path, you might be in trouble. And, And they're not judgmental, but then that means their God is really judgmental. It's a little too much. Maybe we're somewhere in the middle. Fools. In other words, not like we've got it all figured out either. Think about it. I mean, I can think about it. Uh, Have you ever torpedoed a relationship? Have you ever really been helped by somebody and you never even thanked them? When is the last time you really singed somebody because you were angry and you just didn't use the energy you could have used to hold it in. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The people who aren't enough, people who are maybe too much, people who are someplace in the middle. I find it interesting that Matthew chapter 11 begins with Jesus trying to, I think at some level ultimately, gently explain to John the Baptist that he has to be different. That good news can't be expected. If you expected it, it wouldn't be as explosive or as powerful. But Jesus comes along and embraces everybody, seeks out everybody, wants to leave nobody behind, wants to give you and me five-second chances, 20-second chances. And, th- and then that chapter ends with him saying, um, come unto me, all you who are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. I'll take your load on me. I don't think you could do anything better to prepare for Christmas than to spend some time considering the load you're carrying. In life? What baggage do you have? You should probably set some of it down, right? And you should probably ask for some help with some of it. And you should probably also trust that you are stronger than you think you are. And you can carry some of it. Maybe more than you planned, more than you thought, able. But if you don't try and carry it all, and if you ask for a little help, then you and I are amazingly resilient and strong. So much also in Matthew's great gospel. By the way, we're going to be in Matthew all year this year. Come to church this year. Matthew is the, is the most challenging of the Gospels. And, and we all do well, I think, to be challenged a little bit. We get a little complacent in our world. But in, in the Advent season, that's, that's actually, interestingly, not where Matthew goes. Matthew just wants to prepare us for the good news of a God who never leaves us, Emmanuel. That's only in Matthew. But it's Matthew who, right at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, reminds us that Jesus looks out on the crowds and he says to them, you know, you're, you're the light of the world. You're the light of the world, people. A city set on a hill can't be hid. Imagine that. Fools like us. Can't get off the path, people. You're the light.